Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and today I have a beautiful, lovely guest that I have followed on Instagram for a very long time. She doesn't know, but I stalk her frequently. Anyway, she's fantastic, fabulous, and helping lots of people um, through not just her word, but through her business as well and telling her personal story. And that is why I wanted to have her on today because she is fantastic. Miss Marissa Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you, Janet. I also follow you and I'm so excited to be here. I was, I was giddy when you asked me to be a guest on the show because I really, I enjoy you. I enjoy your content and, you know, I'm honored to be here today. I'm, I'm so excited that you decided to join me today. Now, for people who do not know Miss Marissa Jones, my everyday being, who are you and what do you do? Oh, wow. So <laughs> I am That's a loaded question. <laughs> sure is. I am a lot of things. So uh, I am a mindset coach. I'm an author. I'm a speaker and, uh, and a, I'm a mental health advocate. And, uh, you know, it's something that I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. And there's there's so much going on in this world these days that, you know, I'm just here to support everyone through whatever whatever personal challenges that they're going through to make sure that everyone maintains balance and and can get through their days amongst the chaos. Mm -hmm. And and I think now more so than ever, there has been such a huge increase in the need for. Uh, mental health and wellness um, and helping people through traumas, uh, depressions, you know, whatever the case may be from whatever source it is that's causing things. And generally speaking, um, yeah, I know coming from the nursing standpoint of things, whenever somebody is really, really struggling there is always a trigger behind it or a reason behind um, the state of mind that they're in. And so helping somebody to, to, to realize that and, and know that it's not something that's necessarily your fault, but something that happened that's triggering those episodes for you, I think is super important. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's triggering is the right word. We we go through life and we kind of know who we are and we know what what kind of ticks us off. We know what buttons are pushed and that that may set us off, whether it's, you know, in anger or in crying or whatever our reaction is. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't really get down to the surface, you know, beneath the surface to find out. Um, how it's really impacting us. And, and that's kind of the work that I do with the people that I, I work with, with my clients. Um, so if you're, you know, if, if someone has a trigger, right, and it sets them off and they get angry about something, um, you know, that's just what I call a surface emotion. Um, mm -hmm. What I do is I help clients get through the very core issue of what's behind that anger. And mm -hmm. a lot of times it's not what you think it is. Um, and just right. for an example, you know, when I, uh, you know, I help uh, people, you know, to, to teach them how to meditate, maintain a balanced mindset, right? And 
Um, and so one of the examples I use is with my father. So I grew up in a Sicilian household. My parents are Sicilian immigrants. They came to the United States in 1961. I was born in 65. So, you know, I was not a, an American, right? I, I grew up in the Italian culture and in a Hispanic neighborhood. My first language was not English. Um, and my father was an abusive alcoholic on top of that. So I really never really felt like I belonged. And when, um, and so the, the underneath imprinted, uh, you know, what, what stuck with me, you know, all these years I, I suffered with depression and suicidal ideation and a whole history of, you know, drugs and alcohol and being a bully to others. I mean, I just really was angry mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I was older and started healing that anytime I got triggered with anger and I would do the work myself, you know, I came up with my own exercises on how I was going to, you know, <laughs> solve this problem, right? And uh, it always came down to the same thing. And it still surprises me to this day when I do the work and I get down to it, it's always the same thing. And it's that I felt unloved. I felt mm -hmm. unloved. I felt devalued in, in a certain way. Right. And so when I get triggered, that's what happens. And so even myself, who spent years doing this work and, and, you know, maintaining that balanced mindset, what now, you know, instead of anger, I move towards crying and frustration, because I've, I've learned to overcome my anger. Um, mm -hmm. But it still surprises me myself when I uncover, it always goes back to those same things of feeling unloved and feeling devalued. And so, you know, as some of us know that what our triggers are, we really don't know the core of what's behind it and how we can accommodate um, to change that from a reaction to an action, right? So now mm -hmm. I know that there are certain things that trigger me that make me feel unloved or unvalued. And so I create a whole boundary system, you know, what I call my rules for life right. to make sure that I'm protected in that way. And then when I do uncover that, instead of reacting, I can take action, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm the I'm the only person who can make myself feel loved and valued, no matter what. No one right. in my life can do that for me. So mm -hmm. I have to work on myself and continue to build that foundation so that I am strong enough so those reactions become less and less. And it's more of myself taking action so that I can protect myself. And I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head, I think, for a lot of people, because people tend to always have the same um, things when you boil it down of, you know, why they feel the way that they do. And and there's always something in the past that that has, you know, made them of that mindset or a lot of times not only being unloved or undervalued, but they feel unsafe in situations yes. because of, you know, words or, or circumstances, you know, from, from previous, previous situations. And it usually stems from family stuff as to why they are the way that they are. And, you know, a lot of people struggle how to get out of that and how to get over that. And I know um, we have talked a lot on my show extensively about, this and about generational trauma and, you know, things, especially stemming from your childhood and things your parents did. Cause my, my household was not a uh, touchy feely, lovey dovey household at all. And it always, 
you know, anytime there was something concerning um, that was like on my mind or burdening me, it was like they didn't want to hear those things. And the more focus in our family, and there was three of us kids, more of the focus was always put on my sister. Like she was the special one. And my brother and I were kind of like chopped liver, you know, and, and going through a rape and things like that and trying to bring that up and then being told we're not going to talk about that ever again. It's like, you are not going to address anything that bothers you. We're just mm -hmm. going to sweep it under the rug. Cause we don't, we don't talk about those things. And that was growing up like in a, in a Catholic family. <laughs> right. My family was <laughs> right? Catholic as well. Uh -huh. And it was like, you know, this, this will make our family look bad. And so this is why we cannot uh, talk about or address those things. And I think a lot of people have those uh, situations where their, their parenting styles were very different. Um, I'm sure your parenting style with your kids is very different than the parenting style that you got from your parents. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, but it took a while. So when I, you know, in 2010, kind of, this is when my whole journey switched, right? So I spent mm -hmm. my whole year, uh, my whole life on the one hand being very successful in IT, right? I turned out, you know, as a kid, I was a tech geek, right? And there was mm -hmm. really no technology, but, you know, I was, you know, I would take a transistor radio and take it apart and try to rebuild it, like mm -hmm. stuff like that. I was just really fascinated by technology. So mm -hmm. I started learning it on my own. So that to me was that where I succeeded, right? So I had an IT career, I was successful, I was married, I had kids. Um, and then my, my husband of 22 years had an affair and it wasn't the first time, but it was the first time I had known since we had kids together. Mm -hmm. And that changed things because at that point he, was, he got addicted to prescription drugs. He got hooked up with a girl who was an addict. Um, and so I was traveling a lot for work and they were mm -hmm. playing house, you know, with me, my kids and stuff. And, and at that point I had realized a couple of things. One, uh, I used work as an addiction myself, right. You know, because I was unhappy in life. And, and so, uh, at that point I started drinking heavily. I started, um, just being detached from everyone. My suicide, uh, ideation was amplified, uh, especially with the alcohol and uh, I fell into a deep depression. And so um, at that point, I realized that, uh, you know, I just, that was my rock bottom. Right. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to change for my kids, not for me, because I didn't care if I lived or died at that point, but right. I knew I had to change for my kids. And so I went on this exploratory journey but I had all this shame. I couldn't talk about my past. Like no one knew about my past. No one knew that I did a lot of drugs in my teens and twenties. No one knew that I was a bully as a kid. No one knew that I was angry and depressed. And, you know, I hid all of these things from my life that I was ashamed of. And so I had to do it by myself. And as I started kind of crawling out of that, I started to realize that, you know, the impact that my father had on me was huge, just mm -hmm. really huge and our family. And but during those times, I was lost and isolated. So I started to, you know, I was angry. So I was taking my anger out of my kids. So I didn't physically hit my kids, but I would scream and yell at them and instill this fear in them similar mm -hmm. to my father had done with me. And so at that point, 
you know, that was a scary time for me. And um, I realized that I had to change because I was becoming my father at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, my kids were young. They were uh, five, four and seven or five and eight, something like that. Um, and as I started healing, I was doing it for them so that I didn't harm them because I was afraid of harming them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, and that's something that people don't talk about, you know, right. and it's interesting because I've talked with other moms in similar situations and they're relieved when I talk about it because, you know, you can't say that you were a terrible mom or that you hurt your kids. Right. But that was that was who I was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, now things are different and I've rebuilt my relationship with my kids and we have a great, you know, they're, you know, 18 and 21 and mm-hmm. that, you know, I have a fantastic relationship with them. Um, but, but if we don't uncover what's really hurting us, it's going to come back to us. It's going to come back to us when the chips are falling and there's chaos around us. We don't have this foundation to keep us balanced, to be able to support not only ourselves, but our families and the, and our friends and the people around us. And so you really have to uncover, you have to go back to your childhood. And it's, you know, it sounds Mm -hmm. like, so, you know, like, you know, that's typical, oh, you got to go lay on the couch and talk to your therapist. (laughs) And it sounds corny, but there's so much truth to it because we all harbor something. You don't have to be, you don't have to be physically abused. Like a lot of my clients have gone through physical abuse. They've been raped. They've been beaten. They've been neglected. Mm -hmm. They've had narcissistic parents. I mean, there's, there's so much that, that, many adults are walking around with this trauma. Um, But some of my clients have never experienced that. They have no clue what that's like because they've had a healthy um, uh, childhood, Mm -hmm. which is great, but they're still learning. They're still learning that life impacts them. And so maybe something happened to them in their twenties or their thirties, you know, and, and they want to better themselves and want to kind of unearth things that are creating reactions and triggers in them uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to move forward. And, you know, we owe it to ourselves. You know, we always put ourselves last, don't we? Right. Uh, To take care of of the people around us, we always put ourselves last. And I always say you have to be selfish in your healing journey. You have to be selfish because when we're strong, we become stronger to the people around us that depend on us. Right. And I like to say, too, that that we are kind of like a giant magnet. And so going through life literally every single day, if you allow it, everything on the outside will attract and stick to you. So somebody else's bad mood, somebody else's negative energy, emotions, you know, whatever the case may be. And a lot of times, when we do that, we internalize those things and they're not our problems, but we take them in. Like it's something that, you know, is necessary basically for, for us to absolve or so, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can't think of the words. Right. I know what you're saying. saying. It's hard. It's hard to release that. If you have a bad encounter with someone, let's say you're just at the grocery store and there's somebody at the checkout or the cashier who just kind of is having a really bad day and they take Mm -hmm. it out on you for whatever reason, it sticks to you. Like you said, it's a Mm -hmm. magnet and it's really hard to release that sometime Mm -hmm. to, to separate ourselves, to say, that's not my emotion. I can't own that. A hundred percent. 
And especially when you've grown up around trauma and a difficult childhood, we mm -hmm. tend to carry other people's emotions because we're so tuned. We have to be tuned into us because as children, we had to be in tune to everybody's moods in mm -hmm. order to survive. Right. And so that's why we become more like empaths as we grow older. hundred percent. Because yep. we have to be so in tune to what everybody's feeling and thinking to be able to take, you know, to, to know that our next step is safe. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we don't feel safe because there's so many unknowns when you grow up in an environment like that. And I think too, like as a child, like internalizing um, the, the anger and moods of, you know, our, our parents, grandparents, you know, wh whoever was around us, uh, especially you being Sicilian, I'm sure you had <clears throat> like big family dinners and, you know, community stuff and, and whatever. But it's kind of like one of those things that, um, they brought those things with them from their family. And so nice. now they're putting it into your household. And as a kid, you're so impressionable. And those are not necessarily your feelings of, you know, anger or hatred or resentment or whatever. Those are things that you internalize from somebody else. Right. Then they become you. And right. you, you use those and you lash out, you know, like when somebody cuts you off in traffic or whatever, and their first instance is like, maybe they have somebody in the hospital, you know, right. I mean, like trying to reason out like, okay, you don't have to get so upset about this. There could be a very good reason why that person cut you off. Uh, right. Somebody's chased them. You know what I mean? But but we as human beings automatically tend to lead through emotion, whether right. it's bad um, and more times bad than we would like comes out, you know, and it's hard for people to to separate those emotions and to step back and, and look at them and be like, OK, why did that situation make me mad? Right. Why did the toilet paper on the roll going the wrong way upset me so bad. <laughs> and it could be right? the thing in the world. Yeah. Like we can have a total tantrum over something like that, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and when you think about it and, and, you know, so that's that, you know, one of the things that I help people do is I help them identify where their triggers are coming from. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a reaction where you're flipping out over the toilet paper being faced the wrong way, there's mm -hmm. something underneath it. And so I have 100%. this thing called understanding your expectations. Cause when we react, it, there's two things that are happening. One, our expectations have been unmet for whatever mm -hmm. reason, right? We had expectations, expectations were unmet. And we don't realize them. So they're hidden expectations that were unmet. And the second thing is our value system was compromised. Mm -hmm. And we walk around not knowing what our expectations are in life in general and not knowing what our values are. Mm -hmm. And so for something like that, right, if the toilet paper is facing the wrong way and you totally get set off, right, I have this exercise called understanding your expectations. It's, it's a list of 12 questions that helps you identify what was the event? What was, what was your reaction? Why do you think that happened to you? Why do you think you reacted that way? And just really start, you know, what was your expectation, right? The expectation is you put the toilet paper the right way. Well, was that a reasonable expectation? Is it? 
Is it really reasonable? Uh, right. Because right? does I mean, everybody do things the right, the same way? Right. No, and so we have to check ourselves to say, do I need to modify my expectation? Right. Mm -hmm. Or right. is, or is my expectation valid? Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to think about why did it get set off? Maybe it's because you think, oh, well, my, my husband doesn't listen to me. I, he knows I like it this way. He doesn't listen to me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what you can do is at that point you say, okay, well, Maybe I'll modify my expectation. Maybe it doesn't matter, matter and I'll just flip it around, right? Mm -hmm. Or you could say, you know what? It's because he doesn't listen to me. And for whatever reason, I need it this way. So I'm going to go have a conversation with him and I'm going to take action now, right? I'm going to take mm -hmm. action and I'm going to say, here's my expectation. And will you please honor that for whatever reason? Okay. Right. And so then you can start moving forward. So you're not, you know, triggered. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes it's it, it, when you think about, okay, so now my expectation was unmet. Well, what's the value behind it? If it's because you feel that your husband doesn't listen to you all the time and that's why it's the wrong way. And it just goes in what one ear and out the other. Well, what is the value behind that? Because maybe the value is your expectation was unmet because you feel like you're not being heard. Right. And if that's the case, then you write yourself a value statement saying, you know, I value being heard by my spouse and partner. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you create boundaries and you communicate to him and say, this is an important value of mine. So when I ask you this, right, can you please honor that? Because otherwise it does trigger me and it goes back to my childhood for whatever reason. But it, mm -hmm. can you just please honor that for me? And then you can have a conversation with him, right, to mm -hmm. say that this is my value and this is my expectation. And I'll tell you, my clients love having what they say, a language around what their triggers are and, and to be able to communicate. So the, the language of values and expectations help them to have those conversations so that so that it's understood on both sides. And I was going to say, like, communication is such a big thing, whether, you know, it's with your spouse, significant other, friends, family, whatever the case may be. You have to have those open and honest conversations. Um, and I think a lot of times people get very um, like they don't want to be open and honest. And so it shuts off part of them. And then they unreasonably expect that other person to just mind read and know what right. they're mad about, what's upset them, you know, what's going on in their life. I'm mad because you didn't call me back for two hours, you know, whatever the case may be, but you're not being fair in the conversation either because you're not allowing that honest discussion. And I think right. that shuts down a lot of people and is very triggering for a lot of people because the whole, there's a lot of problem in with relationships with not being heard. Um, but at the same time, they don't have that open, honest discussion and dialogue to be able to open up those things and let your partner know why certain things really, really affect you emotionally like some kind of trauma from your past or whatever. Some people don't want to be vulnerable and, right. and let somebody else in to know those things. They just automatically expect them to know magically. And that doesn't right. happen. <laughs> and it goes back to exactly what you said earlier. When you were growing up, you were afraid to speak. You weren't allowed right. to speak. 
right? And right. that you carry that. And mm -hmm. so what happens is, is all these little things happen. And, and within us, we create a series of pattern and, and behaviors that mm -hmm. are repeating in multiple situations. And we don't realize that we have these consistent patterns and behaviors that, that you know, determine how we get triggered, how we react, what our expectations and values are. And so what happens is in a situation like that, now you're an adult, mm -hmm. you want to communicate your feelings to someone who's important to you, but you can't. Because mm -hmm. that fear, you're still that that five year old little girl or the five year old little boy who's right. terrified, right? Who's not who was told, you know, not to speak, mm -hmm. and so you can't do it. And so, so you know, when you start to understand and you unravel the complexity of who we are as human beings, right? When you understand every little thing about you and and how it has imprinted on you, mm -hmm. then that awareness alone gives you the strength to say, okay, I know this is a weakness of mine that I don't speak up. I have to, for, to, to support this relationship, I, I have to be the one to speak up and tell, you know, this person how I feel. And mm -hmm. that gives you the strength because you are aware of it. It gives you the strength and support that you need to be able to have that conversation mm -hmm. where you couldn't have that before. And so it's really important that we continue to do the work on ourselves to be, you know, to bring that awareness forward so that we know who we are, so that we know how we can be for the people around us. Mm -hmm. And I think another really big thing for a lot of people is knowing what your morals and values are and not bending those or misshaping those all of the time to try to make like a relationship or a friendship or whatever fit in a box. Those are yours for a reason, you know? And, and I think that a lot of times when, when people compromise too much in situations and say, well, you know, I know my husband uh, works late all the time, but now for some reason, 10 years into the marriage, I'm, I'm mad because he's doing what he's always done. Right. Um, and, and not being able to, to stay by, like, I want a happy, healthy relationship with, you know, whatever, whatever your morals and values are, you, you believe in God, your partner doesn't, whatever the case may be. A lot of times when we give those up or we bend those to fit in a box, um, to be able to have the relationship that we quote, think we want, um, it ends up being detrimental to yourself because you're not living out your, your true person, your true passion and, and who you are as an individual. Absolutely. And uh, you nailed it. I, that was my last marriage. Mm -hmm. I had done so much healing and I knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And when I went into the marriage, I compromised and I knew I was compromising. And the reason why I compromised, I justified to myself it's okay. I'm strong enough that we don't align on these values, right? Mm -hmm. There were a couple of values that we didn't align. It's like, okay, right. I'm strong enough. I can deal with that. I can compromise. Mm -hmm. But what happened was, is those things ultimately over time, um, my expectations were not met because of them. And, mm -hmm. and my, um, you know, my boundaries that I created around them didn't support me. And right. eventually I grew resented resentment. 
for mm -hmm. my husband. And I wanted him to change. And it's like, wait a minute, I was the one who entered into this marriage, compromising my values. And now this person doesn't want to change to align to my values and expectations. Mm -hmm. And so I was the one, now he was emotionally abusive, but that was because I compromised. I, uh, you know, it didn't start off that way, but over time, you know, his trauma, you know, started reacting to, to my resentment and right. it was just a bad mix. So eventually I had to walk away from the second marriage for mm -hmm. that reason, because because I did compromise. So I, you know, I tell my clients all the time, you cannot compromise on not one single value. Mm -hmm. If you are new now, if you're in a marriage already, you could, you're going to, you know, make it work, you know, try to make it work and make sure that as long as it's healthy, you can communicate and you can compromise. But if you are entering into a new relationship, you can't. Um, right. Because and eventually it will catch up. Yeah. Yeah, and especially if you have like one one partner willing to make sacrifice and compromises and the other person does not. Right. Um and will not. Um right. that leads to a humongous problem because you have a lopsided relationship, you know, and and you have these expectations that are never going to be met because they won't rise up to meet your needs. Right. Like right. And that's why I think there's so many problems with relationships these days. And like I said, not just romantic relationships, but you know, friendships or whatever, because number one, communication is not great. And number two, because you don't have those foundations of morals and values and, you know, agreed upon Boundary lines, which are super duper important. Uh, boundary lines are even important with your family. Right. Like very, very important. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people are like, oh, but I can't like, you know, tell my mom and dad like they can't do this or that because then X, Y, Z will happen. And I'm like, no, you have to because for your own peace of mind and your own mental health. Um, you have to have those lines that you cannot cross these because yep. that's a no for me. Yeah. So. And, you know, I, I, I believe that you can have a healthy relationship with an unhealthy person mm -hmm. and we all have family members that are unhealthy, right? Friends mm -hmm. you can get rid of, right? Friends and acquaintances, you know, you can get rid of those if right. they're unhealthy, but family members, sometimes you can't. But you can have a healthy relationship with an unhealthy person if it's exactly what you said. You have to know what your values are and you have to create boundaries to support those values. And then you mm -hmm. have to communicate them to right. the other person. They may not agree. They may not agree. But you still have to do that to support yourself because mm -hmm. otherwise that anger is going to be there. The you're going to get triggered. You're going to, you know, it, they're not going to meet your expectations. And so changing those expectations is, is, is important, right? If you change the expectations you have of someone, right? So I have a client who, you know, she struggled. She had all these expectations of what she wanted her dad to be in her life. And he never met them from a young child. And now she's having mm -hmm. kids and she's, you know, she wants, she has expectations for how she wants him to be in her kid's life. And, you know, it's like, I helped her to modify her expectations. Mm -hmm. And create boundaries around the relationship where she gets what she needs from him, what she values from him, 
but she doesn't put all these expectations that he will never be able to meet. And right. now she has a good relationship with him after, you know, a year of working together. Um, she has a good relate, a healthy relationship with him, even though he's not a healthy person and he mm -hmm. can be in, in, you know, her life with, with her first child. Um, but she's not let down every time it happens, you know, every mm -hmm. time they get together because she has changed her expectations and she feels good about it because right. she still gets to have him there. And she's, she's been able to see that. And so you, you can do it. It takes work, but you can do it. So tell me like when you were growing up and your, your dad, you know, was alcoholic and he was abusive. Was it always like verbal or was it, physical. As oh, well. it was physical. Yeah, it was very physical. So he, he would beat me with the belt. And like you, we had four kids and we had mm -hmm. one, my sister who was, she was, her nickname was Princess Gina. She could do no wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, you know, the, you know, my older sister was emotionally abused. My younger brother and myself were physically abused. So each one he reacted differently to, mm -hmm. um, you know, he had different expectations for each of his kids for whatever reason. <laughs> um, but, uh, I was physically abused on a regular basis. So he beat me with a belt. Um, I had a lot of food issues and I had food allergies, which I didn't realize. And so I would eat and I would have these severe stomach and back pains. My parents would take me to the emergency room. Like anytime we had, you know, rich, like I grew up in a Sicilian household. It's a lot of fried, Sicilians are fried Italian food. So think mm -hmm. chicken Parmesan and, you know, eggplant parm and, and fried rice balls. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, fried foods in Sicilian uh, cuisine. Uh, and it just killed my gut. It just killed my gut. And so um, I wouldn't eat. And then he would get mad at me for not eating. And he would literally just take his belt and start beating me. Um, and so I had welts all over my face, my body. Um, and then as I got older and went to school, you know, I would cut gym class because I didn't want to put shorts on or, you know, mm -hmm. get in my gym clothes or, you know, I was I was fighting. I knew that, you know, I would show up in gym class in my clothes and not change. And my teacher would come, you know, and I was ready. I was ready to fight. You know, anyone who wanted to fight me on anything, I was ready to fight because I didn't want to tell her I was being beaten. I didn't want to show my welts, but she would, you know, I would get in trouble for being, you know, dressed in my regular clothes. And then I would fight with her and I, and my dad cussed a lot. So I screamed and cussed at my teachers all the time. I would literally would tell them F you mm -hmm. and walk out and, and cause a scene. Um, I beat up other kids. I, I, you know, I was being bullied at home. So I became a bully. I was mm -hmm. beating up other kids all the time. Um, and so I just had so much anger uh, as a child and, you know, it was unsettling. And that's why, you know, by the time I was 14, I started doing drugs, a lot of drugs. And um, just, you know, I lived just outside New York City. So, you know, on school nights, my girlfriends and I, we would just go down into the bars and hang out until four or five in the morning, um, you know, hitting the bars at 15. I mean, because they didn't care back then about, you mm -hmm. know, drinking agents and like, you know, checking IDs. And it was just a it was a crazy life, but, but I wanted more out of life. You know, mm -hmm. um, my father told me that, you know, I, I was supposed to just get married and have babies. Like women didn't, you know, women didn't go to school or college or anything like that. And so everything I did, I learned on my own. 
right. um, to become something. And I did, you know, career wise, you know, here it is 30 years later and I lead global multi-million dollar tech technology projects, you know, mm -hmm. and I love it. I love what I do uh, on that aspect. Um, but I was dead inside, you know, I was really dead inside and uh, it took a lot of years for me to kind of wake up from that and, and just, you know, decide to change. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, things like that from the past, you, you basically pack those into a suitcase and you take those into a relationship. Yep. And that's what happens to a lot of people is that they take those um, childhood, physical, mental, emotional uh, things that happen to them and they take those into a relationship with the expectations that <clears throat> this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have kids and your partner is supposed to be sunshine and rainbows <clears throat> and unicorn farts, you know, and, <laughs> and all of that is supposed to, it's supposed to be perfect. And that is the solution to your life. Okay. And a lot of times when that happens, when you haven't unpacked that suitcase with all of that junk in it, um, your relationship is not going to last because those are things that you need to deal with that's a problem inside of you before it's healthy for you to be with someone else. Right. And you can go into a relationship and help each other grow if you have the right partner. Right. And you have those expectations and morals and boundaries and, and all of that stuff. So, when you went through the period where um, you were doing drugs and all of that stuff, how did you stop? Would you say you were addicted at that time or you just like one day you're just like, I'm, this is dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. And then there was uh, no withdrawal. Yeah, it was, um, you know, addiction is interesting because you, you know, everything I do to, I do to extremes. Mm -hmm. Am I, am I an addict? I don't know what, the, you know, you could say a lot of things about being an addict. Right. right. Um, but for me, was I physically addicted? I don't, I, I don't know. I just know that from the time I was 14 until I was 27, I did a lot of heavy drugs. Like I, you know, did LSD and cocaine and, uh, mushrooms and, you know, psychedelics. And I got high every single day. Um, I was selling drugs. I was selling, you know, cocaine and, and marijuana in high school and in my twenties to be able to get some of it for free. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it was a very different time back then. I mean, you're right. talking the seventies. Uh -huh. I was going to say a hundred percent different in the seventies. <laughs> like there was no fentanyl or, or, you know, it was, it was different types of drugs. Like you had right. mescaline, but you didn't have, you know, the, the drugs that they have today. Um, I think over time, I just outgrew it. I, you know, I would literally go to, you know, spend three days at that Grateful Dead concerts, right? High as a kite for three days and then show up on a Monday morning to my job, still kind of high and still tripping, but I would mm -hmm. do my job like, you know, and, and I think I was 27 and I think I just, you know, I had quit 
all the hard drugs at that point. And then a couple of years later, I quit smoking pot. And I think I just mentally, I knew it was messing me up. Mentally, I used it as an escape. Right. And I started to realize that I didn't need to escape that way. Now, I did do other things. I wound up, you know, I tried to stay away from alcohol. So I drank a lot when I, during that time period. Then I quit for a lot of years. But then, you know, in 2010, in my 40s, when I had my downfall, I went right back to alcohol. Um, I'm six and a half years sober now. Um, because, like I said, everything to me, I, I do to excess. So um, I think my escape at that time was work. So I literally spent most of my career doing, you know, 60 to 90 hours a week working. Like I was, I was a workaholic. I traveled full time for work for a lot of years when my kids were young. Um, I just put it towards other things. Um, I, 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 I like, um, I like the work that I do. So I get really engrossed in it, but I have to put myself in check, right. To maintain mm -hmm. that balance. Um, but I think it was just desire that I, I knew that it was affecting me mentally because in the back of my mind, I always had depression. And when things got hard, I, I would have suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. And so I knew for me, it was more um, to, to, to help. I was, I was, I spent, I guess I spent most until I really started focusing on healing in 2010, I spent most of my life trying to escape first and then purge anything that I thought was impacting my mental health mm -hmm. because I couldn't, I couldn't balance it. There was so much chaos. Like the name of my book is called the Lotus tattoo, mm -hmm. but the original name that I wanted to call it was mind fuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Excuse my language. But that's because, because the, the mind chatter in my head, I could never calm down. Mm -hmm. I could never calm down. It was, it was on, on constant go all the time. And the drugs didn't help that. So I was trying to do everything that I could to get rid of that, to make my, you know, my brain normal, which is what right. I always said to myself, why isn't my brain normal? I need to make it normal. I need to have normal thoughts. Right. And I could never have normal thoughts. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of I just I did it myself that way. I just kind of stopped. Well, and when you were talking about like addiction and, and, you know, when you're addicted, you just like go all in on, on whatever it is. Um, some people it's a like driving a car. There's no brake pedal, right? right? They don't have that ability to, to slow. And, you know, if you're going to drink, like to know what your limit is and stop, or, you know, know that if you take, you know, one gummy or whatever that that's that's your limit and you can't take anymore some people don't have that they don't right. have a limit switch they don't have a a shut off valve in any way shape or form and so people will literally drive their car into a bridge because they refuse to confront and unpack the things that are bothering them and like you said the you know, your mind's constantly going and you're constantly thinking about something. And that's one thing that I hear from people literally all the time, especially at night. They can't sleep because when they lay down to go to bed, that is literally when the floodgates open and your mind is just full of just everything. Right. You know? So let me ask you this. 
how does or does it at all um, God or spirituality play into your mindset now? It's a huge part of my life. Um, it never was. I grew up mm -hmm. in a Catholic household. Mm -hmm. um, and then you and went, nope, see ya. I, well, so, so, you know, I'm three, you know, I'm three, four years old, right? And, and, and every night I have to sit, kneel by my bed and, you know, uh -huh. say my prayers. And, you know, I write about this in my book. Um, my mom, you know, at that, after we say our, our prayers, my mom would pray for family members. And at mm -hmm. that time, that's when I talked to God. And that's mm -hmm. when I would literally would say, God, please kill my father. Please, please make him die in his sleep. I can't do mm -hmm. this anymore. Please, God, please, I'm begging you. Stop letting him hurt me. Like I begged God to kill my father. Mm -hmm. And he never did. Mm -hmm. He never did. So by the time I was 14, um, all of the trauma I had as a kid uh, created nightmares. I had terrible, terrible night, like hor horrendous nightmares where um, I was either killing or murdering people or mm -hmm. somebody was killing and murdering me. Um, and it was just it, my like I said, my mind was just on fire. Um, and so I, you know, by the time I was 14, I just gave up. I, I was like, I the, God doesn't exist. How can how can God allow this to happen to me for my whole life? Mm -hmm. How can God make me feel this way? Right. God can't exist if if this is happening to me. And so I lost my faith, and I didn't have a faith for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And in 2010, when I hit my rock bottom, I literally went out and bought a Bible and sat and and you know I tried to read it, but I have struggled reading it and. Um, one night I sat there and I just, I, I was holding the Bible and I was crying and begging, begging God to come back and help me because I didn't know what else to do. I was mm -hmm. so lost. I was so lost. And in that moment, um, I just felt this golden light surround me, like just this warm golden light. And I just felt his presence in the room. And I was, I was rocking back and forth, crying, going, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll never, I'll never leave you again. Thank you. And, um, and now, you know, I talk to God all day long. <laughs> I think he's kind of hearing me sometimes. Like literally I laugh with him. I joke with him. I try to sit quiet and listen, you know, uh, I still try to read my Bible and I struggle with it. Um, but I think it's important that you have faith. You know, mm -hmm. and that's what I teach a lot in my workshops and stuff. Like you have to have faith and I'm not the one to tell someone what their faith should be. Right. But, but I, having faith really, really helps, helps me and supports me uh, through, you know, just through life in general. And, and I know there's so many signs now when you look for it, God is God's presence is there all the time and mm -hmm. you can ask for signs and they'll come or, you know, I always say God answers your prayers through the people you meet. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of times I pray for something and then, you know, it, it shows up through a right. person that I've met. Mm -hmm. um, something happens and I truly, and I, so many people tell me, you know, some pe people tell me all the time, like strangers tell me their personal problems all the time out of the <laughs> and, and they literally are just like, they, I get told a lot, like, I feel like God sent you to me. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like God, you know, you answered my prayers. You know, God answered my prayers mm -hmm. uh, by meeting you today or something. Or, you know, and 
And so that's why I truly believe that, you know, God is, is there. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that sometimes I don't feel heard. Um, mm -hmm. But I do believe that God has, and, and a lot of times in life, it's like, I get excited because something happened or something. And it's like, oh yeah, I prayed for this. You know, mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. A hundred percent. And you know, the, the best advice that I can give to anybody that has that, uh, I'm going to say dysfunctional brain that won't shut off, right? Uh, God calms a chaotic brain. And so if you, you know, accept him as your savior or, you know, whatever, whatever you name, you want to call him creator, you know, whatever. Um, when you have that acceptance in your life and you follow the path, not in the flesh that you desire, but on the will that he desires for you, things get so much easier because I did not have a great path in life and I was stupid and amateur and I did and said and acted in ways that, that were not good. And you would never know like the me back then and the me now were the same person like ever. But right. I, I think that's too. a lot of us. Right. Like I mm -hmm. people people I tell them who I was and they're like, what? That wasn't you. And it's like, oh, I had mm -hmm. attitude. You know, I had mm -hmm. attitude. I had a fight in me. I was angry. I was, you know, and, and that's but that's what happens when you have when you grow up in an environment that's not loving and caring. You mm -hmm. know, um, I truly believe that, you know, as human beings, we want connection we need mm -hmm. connection we need to feel like we belong somewhere in a, right. in a tribe in a community we need to feel like we belong we need to feel valued and loved and when we grow up without that um you know we're gonna we're gonna behave in in a way in a manner that that shows that that mm -hmm. we haven't been shown love and connection or feeling like we belong you know it happens um, but through healing, you can get through it, right? And become Absolutely. a very different person. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so soft these days. <laughs> and I love, I love the fact that I am grateful for everything that's happened to me, good or bad, because it has taught me a lesson on every aspect of life. And without all those even bad instances or traumas or whatever, I would not have grown and evolved into who I am, you know? Right. And so even like, you know, stupid things that happen during the day or whatever, like I can laugh the little things off now, whereas before it used to get to me so bad. And I always use the, um, the ice maker, for example, our ice maker, I think is possessed by Satan because literally every time I <laughs> use it, it shoots ice across the kitchen floor onto the tile. And then I will try to pick it up and it scoots across the floor and whatever. And I'm like, now I just chuckle about that. I'm like, Oh, oh, oh very funny. God, you just wanted to see me look like I was ice skating. Like a deer <laughs> on ice skates. Okay. That was funny. You know, whereas before, like, back in the angry days, like that would have made me so upset o over nothing, literally right. an ice cube that you could pick up and it's fine. But I think 
getting to the point where you don't let all of those small uh, idiosyncrasies that happen throughout the day become such a big like mountain. Like, why is that such a big deal to you? Right. Like, and people always say, well, but this happened and this happened and this happened. And, and they name like all the bad things throughout the day. And I'm always like, okay, now name five good things that happen throughout the day. I can't think of any. That's what people usually say. I can't think of any. And I'm like, you're breathing. You know, you're alive. The sun is shining, you know, whatever it is. But it's like getting people in that mindset to stop focusing on everything negative and all the frustrating, irritating things that happen and think about something positive. Put that put that spin on things to, you know, change that attitude into something positive and instead of the negative focus. Right. It's that victim mindset. You know, mm -hmm. the first half of my book is called the, the victim because mm -hmm. it was that victim mindset. And yes, I was a victim, right? right? I was a victim, but that's the key was, right? Right. I was a victim, but that victim mindset stuck with me. So I was always on the fence, always angry. Every little thing mm -hmm. that I did not have control over, like that ice thing would have mm -hmm. flipped me off, right? right. Because, because you, you have no control and it's right. a surprise and it triggers. And when you've grown up around trauma, anything that's a surprise, like you go into fight or flight. Right. Mm -hmm. or, or you go into fight mode right. you know, because you're 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 just ready for anything. And so even though it seems dumb because it's an ice cube flying across, your body doesn't know the difference. Your mm -hmm. body's ready for defense. Right. And so that's why you get triggered because you have no control. You don't feel control of the situation. Right. Um, and so once you've learned to balance that, once you've healed that and, you know, you can change that victim mindset to a healthy mindset. And now, like, you know, I always just joked, you know, back in the old days, my my first husband, he would go out and smell the roses and go, oh, look at the dew, you know, take a deep breath. Look at the dew on the grass. And it's such a beautiful morning. And I literally would step on the roses to get to work. I drive an hour and have no idea whether it was raining or snowing or sunshine because I was mm -hmm. so in my head. Mm -hmm. But now I truly value and appreciate the beauty around me. So everything from making a cup of coffee and smelling the aroma to going outside and smelling the fresh air and the grass and seeing the sunshine or the rain, like I see beauty in all of that now mm -hmm. because I've completely changed my mindset and it's all perspective. So you right. can go around with that victim mindset where everything that happens through, through, throughout your day is a negative Right. Mm -hmm. Or you can turn it around and say, you know what? I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful I have a hot shower this morning. I'm grateful that I have I can drink coffee. I'm mm -hmm. grateful I have a roof over my head. I'm grateful I have, I have people to support me and love me. Like there's so many things to be grateful for. And, you know, we forget that we take those things for granted, mm -hmm. uh, especially when we're focused from an unhealed mind. Um, Absolutely. You can turn that around. So tell me, because um, you also have your own podcast. I do. Um, tell, me about, <laughs> tell me about your podcast and what what made you decide to start it and what is it? So my podcast is called Women CEO in Reflection. 
and it's about women leaders across the girl world get candid about mental health. And the reason why I started it was, um, you know, spending 30 years in tech, right? I was a, a female in a male environment. And, you know, first growing up with my, my, in my family environment, I didn't have any women to look up to as mentors, right? In, in, you know, just in general, like I loved my mom, I loved, you know, my aunts and stuff, but, but, you know, they worked in kitchens and they, 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 they were, they were blue collar workers. Right. Right. And so, um, so I didn't really have any female mentors to teach me what it's like to be a woman and to be a leader and to, 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 to be healthy from a healthy mindset and personal growth and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so spending 30 years in corporate IT, um, you know, and after I wrote my book, I, you know, I do a lot of workshops and talks and speaking engagements around mental health topics, you know, everything from releasing guilt or releasing fear um, mm -hmm. and, and just knowing yourself and things like that. Um, but I wanted to have the take the conversation a, a little bit further and take it to the workplace, because I've been a corporate mentor for both men and women throughout my career. And um, I think it's really important to have those mentors. And so it's a podcast where we, you know, the women, when you think about women leadership, a lot of women have to become men to be leaders, right? They have to put on that aggressive persona. They have to climb the corporate ladder. They're in competition with the only other woman in the room, right? Like there's, they have to, you know, put on the black suit and tie and become men, in order to become leaders. And I'm trying to break that to say, wait a minute, we can still be women. We can bring that feminine side. We can bring that nurturing side, right? Mm -hmm. And and when you talk to women leaders across the world, you know, how did they become leaders? How did they get there? How did they climb that ladder? How did they start their own business and do it with being a mom, with all the chaos in the world with, you know, did they compromise their values along the way? And so I right. wanted to have that discussion. Um, there's so many great women um, that I've interviewed over a hundred in the last year. They're short podcasts are about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes long. Um, but we can talk a lot in that time. And mm -hmm. really, you know, I've heard stories where I had one woman, she's a CEO of a social networking organization that has over 10,000 members. And she has anxiety. And before she bought it, she had anxiety. And then she buys this, this company that existed. And she, you know, because she's an introvert and she has anxiety. Now she's having panic attacks because she just bought a social media networking company. <laughs> Which is a source of stress. <laughs> Which is a source of stress, right? So, so uh, you know, I've heard everything from, from women taking care of ailing parents or sick children or uh, competing with men or, you know, being failing at their business that they're passionate about and they think it's their purpose and failing again and again and again, but getting up and trying. Uh, women dealing with depression. And, and so I just, what I wanted to do was, I go back to 2010, right? That was a pivotal moment for me where I said, I am broken and I need to heal, mm -hmm. but I was too ashamed to get help. And I Googled my way to self-help. I Googled my way by listening to podcasts and listening right. to women like yourself and other podcasts and self-help, you know, reading self-help blogs and articles. And that's how I healed myself. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I wound up developing my program over the years. 
um, my coaching program, my workshops, everything. Cause I saw gaps that people didn't talk about, right. you know? And so, you know, I, I have a, a literally a, a whole entire course on releasing guilt. <laughs> um, I've never seen anything like that. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, what I do is I talk to these women about those topics because I think it's really important to show you know, to get, get rid of the shame in business, to get rid of the shame, to say, because uh, I was afraid I was going to lose my career mm -hmm. if I spoke up and say I'm depressed and suicidal. I thought I was going to have my job taken away, my kids taken away. But these women are getting candid about that. They're getting mm -hmm. candid about personal growth and mental health challenges that they're having. Mm -hmm. So that if there's somebody out there who's struggling, who's trying to heal, and they hear one of my podcasts and it resonates with them, then I've done my job. And right. that's what it's all about. That's all that it's about. That somebody Googles and they're Googling and trying to find help because they've got some maybe shame and some skeletons in the closet that they don't want to talk about, but they know it's time for a change. Mm -hmm. And they listen to somebody who's powerful, who's overcome that, who's become a leader in their own community. Um, and it, and it keeps them, inspires them to keep going. And that's, that's, that was the whole purpose of it. I think that's such a beautiful idea because, um, it's such a small niche as far as women being CEOs in the workplace anyway. I mean, it's bigger now than it was because definitely in the seventies, uh, that wasn't much of a thing. Right. <laughs> right. So that is growing. Um, so I think it's fantastic that you do that. And you've had some very, very good guests on your on your show um, that are uh, the most recent one that you did. I love what she said about meeting people where they are and and in the role of management, knowing that um, not everybody's like at the same skill level or has the same communication style or whatever. And that applies to life and, yes. and, and relationships and, you know, all of that stuff. Like we were, we were joking before the show, everybody that listens to me knows I'm not a tech person like at all. And my husband is like Mr. Tech wizard guru. Um, and so we were having this discussion the other day because he's working on this big project at work. And he said, he said, but, you know, and he's got like a lot of interns right now. And he said, like, they just don't have skill sets and, and whatever. And I said, but you got to understand these are young people and they may have never had to do, you know, presentations and, and, you know, use the software or whatever. And I'm like, look at me. I'm like, we've been married for a really long time. And I don't know how to use a lot of that stuff either because I've never had to do it. And so unless you meet someone where they are, um, like I said, even in relationships and, and build up that person or build up your relationship together, that that person is not going to flourish. So. Absolutely. That was Amanda Fry. She's fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, in business, what, what we learn um, you have to have good life skills. And so right. that's exactly, that's exactly what, what the conversations come down to, right? Mm -hmm. It's life skills. I always talk about relationships, you know, communications and, and stuff, but you know, 
relationships or work relationships, their friendships, their, you know, husband and wife, there's, there's all kinds of relationships, you know, mother, daughter, father, mm-hmm. son, there's right. all kinds of relationships. And, um, you know, the, the advice that these women give are just, you know, their life skills, their life skills for all of us who are kind of floundering through this life and trying to figure it out day by day. And, you know, meanwhile, it's, you know, if you picture, you know, life is just like, you know, asteroids coming at you, you know, mm-hmm. just constantly from every direction, all these different asteroids. And you're trying to figure out like how to make your way through life. And it's, it's crazy. It's chaotic, but you know, you can make it fun too. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but you have to, you have to find that, that balance. You have to find the balance and right. not react, you know, become an observer in your life. Um, and things change, just, you know, have your full awareness, but sit back, observe life and don't let it impact you. Right. Like you said, we were magnets, right. Don't mm-hmm. take that. Don't, don't, you know, demagnetize yourself right. somehow and don't, don't pick up everything around you and just be a light for everyone else. I think the one of the important things with the balance is doing something that number one is not stressful. And number two, that gives you time to recharge and reboot, whether it's like for me, it's just sitting outside all the time with nature. But some people it's, you know, listening to a certain kind of music or reading a book or whatever it is. It's so important to be able to have those times where you put your life in perspective because the work is always going to be there. It's like a it's like a laundry basket overflowing with clean clothes, right? That you know that you need to fold and put away. But that's one more thing on your schedule. And guess what? If it doesn't get done today, it'll still be there tomorrow. You don't have to get everything done. You right. don't have to stay up for 24 hours and do nothing but work and, you know, whatever. Take that balance that you need to, to recharge. Absolutely. And you, and you have to do it alone. It's mm-hmm. nice to go for a walk with someone. It's nice to go to dinner with someone. It's nice to spend time with your spouse mm-hmm. uh, and kids and family, but you need that alone time to recharge. You mm-hmm. absolutely do. You know, when I talk about meditation, it's not just sitting in a lotus position, you know, chanting, right? Like it's <laughs> to me, meditation is going outside and taking your shoes off and walking in the grass for 10 minutes or sitting by a tree or sitting out, you know, if it's raining, sitting by the window and just contemplating and reflecting while you're watching the rain come down. It's Mm -hmm. petting your dog for 10 minutes. It's, you know, it's taking that alone time and doing several of those throughout the day Mm -hmm. because you need those little recharge moments and you need it so by ourselves. Too many of us, we spend our times distracted, being distracted by everyone. And it takes energy to be with somebody. It takes energy to talk to someone. It takes energy just to be sitting on the couch watching TV with someone. Mm -hmm. Right. And so do make sure you have that alone time because that's when you truly recharge. That's when you can sit with yourself, with your own thoughts and just be. And when you can do that, that keeps you that balance. You know, what's funny is that every once in a while, and I know these things, but every once in a while, like my husband will have to remind me, hey, guess what? You don't have to answer your phone right now because there are days where like I get call after call after call from people that 
need to talk about their problems or something's going on or whatever. And I'm always that person that's there. But sometimes he's like, put your phone down and he's like, go outside or whatever. You don't have to answer that call. You don't have to, you know, message that person back right now or whatever. He's like, just walk away for a while. And so, you know, like he has to get on me sometimes because I'm so in that like tunnel vision mode of I've got to help. I've got to, you know, do whatever for, for other people that sometimes I forget that I need that time. You have to make yourself a priority. Always, always. My number one value is my mental health. I value my mental health. Mm -hmm. My mental health is a priority. And that means taking the time for yourself. You know, mm -hmm. I put my phone down when I walk the dogs. I, you know, I, to me, because what could easily happen is I get a phone call. I'm walking two dogs. I get a phone call. Another dog comes by. Next uh -huh. thing you know, the dogs are pulling. It becomes chaos, <laughs> right? In that moment, right. it becomes chaos. Now I'm stressed. I'm frustrated. The person I'm, I'm talking to is not getting full attention. My dogs are not getting full attention. And it's not fair to anyone. It's not fair to myself. It's not fair to any my dogs or the people on the call. So, you know, my, my coaching program is called... Um, uh, mindset warrior, the art of intentional thinking. Mm -hmm. That means that everything you do in every moment is with intention and it's focused. I no longer multitask. I, right. I'm walking the dogs. I put my, leave my phone behind. I'm walking the dogs. When I make a phone call, my phone is behind. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to the person on the phone. When I'm making coffee, I'm not doing double duty. I'm making coffee and I'm, I'm just appreciating making coffee, pouring it, smelling it. Like everything I do is with intention. And when you do that, your life becomes more balanced. We're so used to saying we have to do it all, right? Like you said, you don't have to do the laundry today. It could wait mm -hmm. till tomorrow. You don't have to pick up that phone call, right? You can spend time with your husband without that. You don't have to take it with you on a walk. Go outside and take that 10 minutes for yourself. We have to. We, ha we have to get out of this mindset that we have to do it all at the same time, right? <laughs> we don't. And, and your and life changes when, when you start living with intention. That I was going to say that's one of the little things that's instilled in you, too, as a kid. And especially, you know, with your family immigrating and, you know, being a Sicilian background and whatever, that that work value. Right. Yes. And and we're taught from a really young age that these are the things that are expected that you, you know, you go to work, you make money, you do your chores, you're very stoic. It's like everything carries through life with you. And when you were talking about, you know, taking the dogs for a walk and then another dog comes and the phone rings and and all of that stuff. Those are literally signs from the universe to slow down and stop what you're doing. Right. And, and, <laughs> and take a reevaluation of things, because if you're constantly having things like that happen, that's a message for you to like reset and and take those times and you know, realize that things like that are, are trying to give you the message to like, calm your life down. <laughs> right. No, I agree with that. Yeah. We have to, you know, we just, we're always doing too much. We, mm -hmm. we do. And especially as women, you know, mm -hmm. men do a lot too, but they're, I'm a very good multitasker. 
Right. And I don't, I can't multitask anymore because then, then, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't support my mental health. So right. I've, I've learned to slow down. I've mm -hmm. learned to, and it, it, I just become more efficient. It's not like that. I'm not getting things done, but I change my expectations. It's like, okay, well, I don't have to do this by the end of this week. Who's, who's holding me accountable? It's my own business, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have to do it this week. I'll just do it next week. My it's boss, fun. me, told right. me to, I have a deadline. <laughs> right. But I put we put too high expectations on ourselves. Right. And you can do it. It just takes longer. There's no rush, right? Absolutely. I, mean, I believe in divine timing. So if you take the time and do it, because I also don't want to do, especially in the work that I do around mental health and stuff, um, I don't want to do it when I'm rushed. I don't mm -hmm. want to do it when I'm right. not in a good mood. I want to, when I'm doing, it's kind of like, you know, when, when people are cooking and it's like, oh, it's made with love. Right. That's mm -hmm. kind of the, that's the emotion I want when I'm, when I'm creating workshops, when I'm doing right. stuff. And so I don't want to do it when I'm not a hundred percent. And, I, and, I, and I think that's really important because it comes out in the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And so I think we all need to take that approach. Right. Mm -hmm. Unless Absolutely. you're 100%, and you can't be 100% if you're multitasking. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree with that. So, my dear, I absolutely love having conversations with you. I think you're fantastic. I'm so, so excited that you decided to come on my show. And to Thank have you. I'm so um, excited. I can't believe the time's run out already. <laughs> I do have a question really quick. Yes. Do you still or are you still um, involved in the tech world as heavily? Yes. Yes. So you yeah. do that along with the coaching and all of that. Other I stuff. do. I do. But uh, I do have boundaries around that. Right. My rules mm -hmm. for life. So uh, I work full time in tech. Um, so, you know, that's my nine to five. Um, I don't work more than, you know, on occasion, I'll do like 50 hours in my tech job, but I don't do that. You know, um, I don't do anything more than that. And um, I, from a, from my podcast, I have my podcast only, I do six episodes across three days. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I do mm -hmm. two back to backs each day and, and they're short 30 minutes um, time each. Um, and so I, I used to do it five days a week and I did 10. Now I've cut it down. So now I do six over three days. So I block Mondays and Fridays. So I, you know, there's no coaching. I do all my coaching in the evenings on the Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. Mm -hmm. um, I'll occasionally make an exception for a weekend because I know people work. Uh, but for the most part, I make sure that I have my time around it. So now um, do you work from home with the tech stuff? Yeah, I do. I work from That's home. Good. So that helps. So I'm not doing commutes and, and all of that. So that really helps. Um, so I make sure that it's balanced. So it seems like it's a lot, um, but it's it's really not. It's it's you know, I make sure that I have enough breaks um, because I walk work from home. You know, after three, four hours of tech meetings, I can go for a 30 minute walk with my dogs. Um, you know, I make sure that I block, you know, I decompress between mm -hmm. my IT job and my podcast because I want to be in the appropriate mental state. And then right. I decompress between my podcast and my coaching clients. 
Um, and so I've created a boundaries around it. So I have plenty of free time. I used to work on the weekends too. I do a lot of clients on the weekends. Um, I don't, you know, so from Friday afternoon until Monday morning, there's no work. It's all me. Yay. It's me time. Yes. <laughs> me time's great. Yeah. So lovely. Where can everybody find you and your podcast and your website at? All right. So my website is myeverydaybeing.com and um, and my uh, podcast is called Women CEO in Reflection. It's on every major podcast platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google. Um, and so just search for it and you'll find it. And you can also go to womenceoandreflection.com and the episodes are also loaded up there. And uh, if you want to email me, mjones at myeverydaybeing.com. Um, you know, it's funny, everyday being at a client tell me the other day, she's like, you know, I never really understood what that meant until now, mm -hmm. um, you know, six months in. And it's about, she's like, it's it's really about finding your flow, finding your mm -hmm. everyday. How, how are you going to do, how are you going to be every day? And right. um, that's what I strive for, for everyone. Just find and I love that. Being. That's so, that's such a beautiful um, way to end that and, and give something to people to uh, chew on and mull over in their busy brains. <laughs> Terrific. Well, and thank where you, Janet. This is tell them, tell them again what your book name was and where they can find that out. Uh, it's called The Lotus Tattoo, uh, One Woman's Grit from Bully to Redemption. Uh, if you Google The Lotus Tattoo Memoir on Amazon, you'll find it. Fantastic. And it's also on our website. <clears throat> on my website. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a pleasure and an honor to have you on, my dear. You are such a beautiful person. And thank you very much for the work that you do for other people, as well as um, tech dodos like me. <laughs> thank you janet i'm so glad i'm on the show thank you so much i'm honored that you invited me love your show love you and uh it's been great being here thank you have a great day everyone and we will catch you next time <laughs>